0: everybody, welcome to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one half of the show. My name is Jeff. The other half of this show, Mark A. Johnston, is also here. Mark, welcome back to baseball, my friend.
1: You know, uh, for the last few days, I noticed uh, the sun was shining a little bit brighter. The air was a little cleaner and crisper, and baseball is back in the air, and, and I'm a happy camper. Think
0: Next week at this time, we will have spring training games. Well, I don't think uh, I nothing. know. I mean, unless, unless there's a hurricane that hits both Florida and uh, Arizona, we should have spring training baseball next week. So, very excited. Let's hope so. Well, not for the hurricane thing, but let's hope for the baseball.
1: No, thing. No, no. Right. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that, man people were probably thinking I was pulling for her. Very confusing, I know.
0: <laughs> hey, just speaking of this, I, I talked to you about this before we started, Mark. Baseball social media right now is an absolute mess. Since the, the, the lockout ended, I've stopped the Ricky Henderson post today. We went 95 straight days of posting <laughs> Ricky Henderson facts and pictures and videos. Got a lot of people following, a lot of people commenting. It was great. We got to talk Ricky. MC Hammer a big fan apparently. I'm kind of laying low on the social media for a little while, just taking a little break. And it is just a mess with the old school versus the new school out there right now, and it's just a lot of gatekeeping that is unnecessary. This is not coming from any of our listeners, but I just want to remind everybody, if you're a baseball fan, it is not your job to dictate how others enjoy the sport.
1: That is a great point. It it, it is a bit chaotic out there as I've I have heard these sides have drawn the lines and yeah it sounds like a lot of fun except it doesn't
0: it's taking its toll on me because I see things and I want to respond but I'm like I am just not going to be part of this problem just old school new school cannot really get along apparently at this point and it's not even <laughs> about the universal Dh it's about other things and it's just
1: ugh. we did a pretty good show on the DH if anybody wants to go back and listen to that one yeah.
0: You know, I challenge you, if you have not listened to every every episode of a, of our podcast, to do so. Because we have got some bangers way back in the day. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. we've got, what, this is show 157? My gosh. So you've wow. got a, a lot to choose from if you haven't been with us from the beginning. And we appreciate everybody that has, everybody that's listening to all of them, uh, you know, now that they found us. And and hopefully we we'll get some more people as well.
1: The great thing about this show is that you can go listen to old episodes and nothing has changed because it's history. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about that.
0: You know, and I <laughs> noticed that. I noticed that this week, all of a sudden, some uh, some baseball podcasts that had been absent for a while. Oh, we've got a new episode.
1: Doesn't matter to us. Uh-uh. No, no, no. We're always we, we're sticking with you through thick and thin, folks. We, we do.
0: Uh, today, Mark, March 15th is when this show drops. Did you know that today, back in 1869, the Cincinnati Red Stockings became the first professional team to ever play a game of baseball?
1: This is the day. Wow, start of an era. This is awesome.
0: Yeah, the National Association of Baseball Players said, all right, you can pay players to play this season. There it was. The Red Stockings that year posted a 57 and 0 mark. (laughs) <laughs> I am guessing they did not play another single team that paid players.
1: Yeah. If you wanted to play for a team, they were the team to play for. Yeah. You want to pick up a check.
0: Yeah, definitely. That, that is the only perfect season in professional baseball history as well. Eighteenth, The Red Stockings. The uh, Red Stockings. A couple of days from now, another anniversary and this this is just so up our alley i wanted to talk about this march 17th 1986 cactus league game my boy carney lansford is credited with a two run inside the park home run as the a's beat the guardians five to four or five to three excuse me now the way this happened is uh ball hit out to uh, mel hall remember mel hall i don't remember if he was a left or a right fielder
1: Yeah, one of the best haircuts in the game right there.
0: Yeah, I think Mel Hall is actually also on our do not talk about list. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Mel Hall is currently in prison for 45 years, so we're not going to talk about why he's there. But what happened is he hit a a ball, got past Mel Hall, went all the way to the fence, and while Mel Hall was there trying to get the ball, uh, his jersey got caught on the chain link fence (laughs) and he was unable to get to the ball because it rolled away from him so he's stuck to the fence and the ball is just out of his reach while Carney Lansford is running the bases Julio Franco I guess he must have been a left in left field at this point Julio Franco the shortstop for the Guardians at that point ran out to get the ball but once he saw what had happened to Hall he Started laughing and <laughs> did not pick up the ball until Lancer had already
1: scored. I wish uh, there was Stanford video. Lancer wasn't this. the slowest player ever, but he wasn't the fastest either. So it's, uh, that's that's something that would have been helpful to see the old chain link out there doing its job.
0: This is in '86, too, when the Guardians were you know major league quality. Mm-hmm. That, that's right, they chose the Guardians for that movie franchise for a reason. And this, I don't know. This might have been the reason, right here. <laughs> right, uh, I, it should have been in the movie. Frankly, that's that's some good stuff right there. By the way, Mark, last week we we brought up Mr. Belvedere, and yes, uh, we, we were going to start a Mr. Belvedere podcast because we're big fans. Well, yes, absolutely. To nobody's surprise, there are already several Mr. Belvedere podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere uh, There's also my favorite Mr. Belvedere's Corner Amongst some others I couldn't find one though uh, In any of these podcasts where they discuss The episode The Field Which includes appearances by Henry Aaron, Ernie Banks Johnny Bench, Reggie Jackson Harmon Killebrew, Mickey Mantle Willie Mays and Of course Robert Goulet I Bob Goulet Bob, Bob Goulet man I yeah, would put one. that team up against the Springfield softball team any day.
1: You know, that would be an epic battle, wouldn't it? I don't think, I think this team would mop the floor with them.
0: I mean, there's some good players on the Springfield team, but let's see, every one of these is a Hall of Famer. except Well, Robert well, Goulet is a Hall of Famer, but not in, not in Cooperstown. But I think that might be the best group of major leaguers ever in a TV show.
1: I think, that'd be tough to beat.
0: Plus, you've got Bob Euchre there, too. He was playing as well. He was a catcher.
1: Even better.
0: Mark, we're getting close to a thing that we do in the uh, in the BP segment here during the season where we talk about debuts. We don't yeah. have one this week, but we do next week.
1: Right
0: on. Yeah, this is exciting for me because that's get some good names, easy stuff to fill the BP segment with. And, yeah, we because remember, we get all those odd games when when teams go to other countries like japan or australia or right i guess england was in the middle of the sea in the middle of the season but those early games we've got a debut next week that we're going to talk about it even though it's not a big debut we're still going to talk about it speaking of usual bp segments we've got trivia i ask a question because last week we brought up your favorite player lynn nolan ryan yes He was the answer to our trivia question last week in terms of the only player that has played for all four original expansion teams and only those four. He's also had his jersey retired by three of those teams, the Angels, the Rangers, and the Astros, which makes him the owner of the most retired jerseys. So I ask the question of how many other players have had their numbers retired by multiple franchises? Mark did you come up with an answer? I did. Uh eleven. Uh well you're you're somewhat close. You're you're a bit over. The answer is actually eight. And uh, only one of these three. Yeah, only but but the when you got a low number like that, I mean that's it's a good <laughs> percent that you I
1: could have guessed three hundred and forty five. I'd have way off. But. Yeah, then you've been really off.
0: So the answers are as follows. First of all, there is Frank Robinson, who actually has had his jersey retired by three teams as well. So I kind of misspoke last week when I said Nolan Ryan was the only one to have it retired by three teams. But Frank Robinson had his jersey retired by the Reds, the Orioles, and the Guardians. He's up there.
1: Nice.
0: Next, we've got Rod Carew, Hall of Famer Rod Carew. Okay. Okay. Twins and Angels. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, I was. Referencing the Beastie Boys there. Next we've got Casey Stengel, who his jersey for the Yankees has been retired as a player, and then I think the Mets as the manager. So that's a little bit, little bit suspect, but it's Casey Stengel, so we're gonna let it go. Right. Uh, this guy Henry Aaron, uh, not as familiar with him. Hammers and Brewers.
1: Um. Yeah, and you know what? I I uh, did a little reading on that guy recently. Uh, he had some power. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course,
0: the hammer, Henry Aaron. Next, we've got Raleigh Fingers, who, sure, A's, okay. that's an easy one. Who would the yep. the other one be? Milwaukee. There you go. Very nice. The Brew Crew. Next, we've got Reggie Jackson, another Oakland athletic, as well sure. as a New York Yankee. We've got Mad Dog, the Professor, Greg Maddox, the Hammers and the Cubs. Yep. And then finally, Carlton Fisk. Any team that has the word "socks" in their name have retired his, his jersey number. <laughs> Fisk might be the only one that's got different numbers retired, though, right? Because he's 27
1: and 72. Oh, wow. No, I, I didn't think about that. Usually these guys are very particular about their numbers.
0: Yeah, I don't want to say for sure. I mean, Robinson, I'm not sure if he had the same number everywhere. i'm gonna look that up i I just thought of that as we were going over that so there we go those are the eight players that have had their jersey number retired by multiple franchises we got several answers but only one that was complete and that is one of our usuals chris cook he came in with all eight of them there congratulations and uh, i've got another question that i'm gonna let everybody think about until next week Mark, when was the first time two Hall of Famers managed a game against each other? Ooh.
1: Oh, I have no idea. Are you asking me? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to give you a whole week to think about it. But.
1: Oh, okay, good.
0: Hall of Fame managers who managed against each other. And this is not retroactive, so it can't be somebody that had managed and then after they stopped managing were, were inducted into the hall of fame you got two guys there that could be wearing their their hall of fame jackets in the dugout if they wanted to managing against each other and that would be great nice. like if they were exchanging lineups they go up there in their hall of fame jackets carrying their busts. i think this is this should happen
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: all right mark we're gonna have the ground crew come out clean up the uh the seeds that are all around the area where you were standing. Yes. For me, I tried some, some, I tried to dip, uh, and it didn't Oof. work. So I regurgitated a lot of stuff. So they're going to
1: pick that up. Yeah. That, that stuff will do that to you. Have you ever dipped? I am going to take the fifth on that. Yes. In fact, I've got some interesting stories about why I quit.
0: <laughs> I have never even touched chewing tobacco
1: and I don't plan on it either. Well, it used to be everywhere, you know, and it was free and I was, you know, in the clubhouse 14 to 16 hours a day. So I would get bored and I started trying it and I haven't touched it in years, but uh, that's the only reason I was ever using it.
0: Ugh. Yeah, I remember Yeah. Ugh. working around the, the baseball team in, in school, the Coke bottles are, you know, yeah, <laughs> just gross. Boy. All right. Well, we're going to let them take care of that because I'm not touching that, frankly. Uh, and let us get right into the main segment of the show this week. I am excited about this because, Mark, a couple of weeks ago, you did a story on the Louisville Slugger bat and the history of the Louisville Slugger company. Yes. It was a, it was a great episode and prominent in that story was Pete Browning.
1: Yes, he was.
0: Very prominent. He was the first player to use a bat from Hillerich and Bradsby, which, of course, those bats are better known as Louisville Sluggers even to this day. But after editing that episode, I looked up Pete Browning just to get a little bit more insight into him. And after reading a couple of articles about him, he fell kind of right into my sweet spot in terms of doing a, a segment about him. You tend to gravitate towards the tragic stories, and yes. I tend to migrate towards the addicts and the weirdos. And this guy kind of fits both of the bills here. So this, is a, this is perfect for our show. Pete was known as the Louisville Slugger long before the Bats were called this. It was a good nickname because Pete, he was born and he died and he's buried in Louisville, Kentucky. Spoiler alert, I guess, he's dead. I mean, he died 1905, but yes, he's no longer counted among the living. But as I said, Pete grew up in Louisville where he was a great baseball player, but also, as many great athletes are, he uh, also starred in other sports. Those sports figure skating and marbles. Now, (laughs) (laughs) now skating, I got it. That takes some real athletic ability, right? You got to build up those leg muscles, coordination. Skating is hard, and that is a great way to, to do something other than baseball. Marbles, though. Marbles just simply prepares you for being awesome.
1: Apparently so, yeah.
0: I don't know anything about marbles, so I can't expand on what makes you awesome. But uh, there you go. Marbles. I guarantee you there is a marbles league, something where you can earn money playing marbles somewhere in this world. Part of the tragedy of Pete Browning was the fact that he suffered from mastoiditis. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It does not sound good. And it isn't, frankly. Uh, It's a painful infection behind the ears that at the time was a leading cause of childhood deaths in this country. And for those that lived with it, it meant a lot of physical discomfort. For Pete, this caused him to be almost completely deaf his entire life. He dropped out of school at an early age because of frustration and embarrassment over not being able to hear. Not going to school, Pete never learned how to read or write as well. And to help with the pain, he self-diagnosed with alcohol at an early age and there is no easy way to put this, he was a raging alcoholic his entire life. Pete made his Major League debut with Louisville when they joined the Upstart American Association in 1882. Pete was crowned batting champ in the first season, finishing with a 378 average. He also led the league with a 510 slugging percentage and a 430 on on-base percentage. His 223 OPS plus, as you can guess, was also tops in the league. So, needless to say, he had a really good rookie season at 21 years old, despite the struggles with his health. I don't think I've ever seen a an OPS plus higher than
1: 223. No, that's uh, way up there. That's impressive. That is
0: very impressive. So, beyond his health issues, Pete was a bit of an odd duck, which is another one of those things, like I said, that I'm really drawn to. Beyond being nicknamed the Louisville Slugger, he was also called the Gladiator. There are several theories as to how this nickname came to be. Some say it was because of his battle with the bottle. Others say that it's because he was always fighting with the press and what they said about him, and Pete gave them a lot to talk about for sure. Similar to Ichiro, Pete was very particular about his bats. Like, I remember Ichiro would hang his bats up in the dugout really take care of him i think he took him to his hotel room with him very particular well pete believed that each of his bats only had a finite amount of hits in them he would talk to them he would name them after biblical figures and if a bat ran out of hits he would retire it to his home where apparently at the end of his career he was like a hoarder you know, the show on, on A&E where you go into somebody's house and there's just magazines and papers and stuff just stacked up to the, the ceiling. Apparently, he was like that with bats.
1: Empty bats. Bats with no hits remaining.
0: I was trying to figure out how does he know when a bat has used its last <laughs> hit? Like, does he keep playing with it and he doesn't get a hit for a while? And he's like, oh, it must be empty. Or does he, like, look at it and, you know, somehow know that it's empty?
1: Only he could give us that answer.
0: Yeah. Well, again, spoiler alert, he's dead. So.
1: Right. So it's not going to happen, folks.
0: Probably not going to happen. They weren't really bats either, as much as they were clubs. I think we talked about this when, when you did uh, the Louisville episode a while ago. He swung a 37-inch long bat, and it weighed 48 ounces. I, <laughs> oh my I mean, gosh. Captain Caveman would not even be able to swing this thing. And he had a big stick. Yes. So, with his custom bats in hand, Pete again puts up great numbers. As I mentioned, he hit three thirty-six. Pete called all his base hits bingles. Now, I assume he is substituting the B from Browning for the S in singles to come up with bingles. I would have preferred if he used the P from Pete and he called them Pringles. Because I think that would have been a very lucrative marketing move for Pete, but... I was not around. Yeah, I wasn't around to to pass along this great idea. Fast forward to the 1887 season. Pete is cruising along with his bats. He would end the season with a 402 batting average. He also accumulated a 464 on base, a 547 slugging percentage. He stole 103 bases and knocked in 188 RBI. None of those (laughs) led the league. (laughs) (laughs)
1: wow
0: yeah former speaker of the house tip o'neill of st louis actually hit 435 that year to win the batting title it's a good year yeah it's a pretty good season yeah okay so we know his bats are obviously imbued with some sort of magical hit juice but pete did some other odd things to get all those bingles pete knew that having good eyesight was the key to being able to hit he called his eyes lamps and he took special care of them in what we would probably call some odd ways. But can you really argue with a 400 hitter? If he was having trouble at the plate, he would wash his eyes with buttermilk. Okay. I don't know if he's like dropping it in his eyes or if he's just like dunking his head in a vat of buttermilk or what. He would wash his eyes with buttermilk. After that, he would rub his eyes throughout the day thinking that this would brighten them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. While on road trips, Pete would stick his head out the window of the train and try to catch cinders from the engine in his eyes to cleanse them.
1: What? Completely understandable. (laughs) Uh This makes complete sense, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, folks, don't try this at home or on a train.
0: I don't know. He hit 400. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So if none of these things worked, though, buttermilk doesn't work. Rubbing the eyes doesn't work. Catching lit embers in your eyes from a train engine doesn't work. He would resort to staring at the sun for a couple of hours to brighten up those lamps. (laughs) Now this one, I can tell you, don't do it. Uh, Another thing that apparently helped Pete a lot was booze. I can, man, I can (laughs) can, (laughs) really, I feel you Pete. Similar to Jackie Chan's drunken master, Pete played, a lot of the time, a lot better when he had some liquid courage in him. He was famously quoted as saying, quote, I can't hit the ball until I hit the bottle, end quote. This led to a lot of his problems with the press, as I mentioned before, because he would say these kind of things to the press. Again, hard to argue with his methods, with the results he was getting. In his 13 years in professional baseball, he had only three seasons that he didn't hit over 300. His lifetime average was 341, and he won three batting titles. That lifetime average of 341 is still 16th best to all time to this day. Wow. Wow. His worst season was in 1889 when he managed to only hit 259. Now, he could have hit 500 that year, and it wouldn't have helped the team at all. Louisville finished with an Oriole like 27 and 111 record that year.
1: Ah, rough, rough year.
0: A mere 66 and a half games out of first.
1: They were eliminated with two
0: months left to go in the season.
1: (laughs) They were eliminated in spring training, it sounds like.
0: Yeah. I see some people have already uh, eliminated the Orioles from the playoffs for this year as well. (laughs) Wow. Even with the expanded playoffs. A couple of other odd things that Pete was known to do. One, on defense, he would stand on one leg like a flamingo. He claimed that this was so nobody would ever run into him. Now, I've been trying to figure out the rationale behind this. What? I, I read an article on flamingos to see if it said anything about, oh, nobody ever runs into a flamingo because they stand on one leg, but nothing. Right. One article speculated that it helped him somehow sense runners or fielders since he couldn't hear. I don't know. Oh. I'm, I'm going to go with it's something He knew something about flamingos that nobody else knew. Pete also liked clean uniforms. Pete refused to slide into a base for any reason. He explained in a 1905 article that was written about him how he never went to ground to get to base, and he said this, quote, "'Old Pete is too good of a hitter to slide to a base. "'If old Pete can't hit them far enough "'for him to get there without sliding, "'then he'll have to stay on home plate. "'Pete will get there, but he will get there running "'and not skating along on his stomach "'like ordinary players.' If he wants a three sacker, he will hit it far enough for him to get there safe and sound while on his feet, or he won't get there at all, period. That was Pete talking about Pete in yeah, third person.
1: person. Yeah, it was like the Jimmy episode of Seinfeld. Pete's a big fan of Pete.
0: It's like Ricky. I, this is why I like this guy. He talked to his bats. He talked in third person. He stole 103 bases in one season. This was Ricky Henderson of the late 1800s. I was drawn to him, and now we know why.
1: Yeah, no kidding. He's right up your alley, pal. Yeah.
0: So Pete's defense was a little bit suspect, though some of the newer ways that we look at defense have proven that he might not have been as bad as we originally thought. While both in the infield and outfield, Pete often led the league in errors, though. I found a great quote attributed to one of his managers. It didn't say which one, but uh, this is the quote that was circulating. Uh, He said, quote, the team would be better off with a wooden statue of an Indian in the outfield since there was at least a slim chance that a batted ball might strike the statue and rebound back in the direction of the field, end quote. (laughs) That's like putting a pitch back just, you know, in center
1: field. Just, (laughs) yeah, ouch. The stinging insult is what that
0: is. Yeah, but that's a good one, though. I need to remember that one. Oh, it's it's solid. A couple of other things I wanted to bring up about our boy Pete. Remember when we discussed the origin of team names? I don't mm-hmm. want to say it was way back, but it was it was a while ago. We talked about how the Pittsburgh Club was named the Pirates because they pirated a bunch of players from the Players League after it folded. Those players were supposed to be returned to their original teams. Well, one of those players that they poached was Pete. He was uh-huh. one, of those, one of those guys. He would also update his batting average on the cuff of his dress shirt so that he always knew what he was hitting. And when not in uniform, he would introduce himself as a champion batter of the American Association.
1: <laughs> All right, you're winning me over. I like this guy too.
0: I'm wondering if... if, if he just said that, you know, if anybody asked him or if he'd just walk up to people and be like, I am a champion better at the American Association.
1: He would uh, say, nice to meet me.
0: Yes. <laughs> a lifelong bachelor, Pete was well known to enjoy paying for the company of women. Just another vice for Pete to add to his collection. But again, these vices were very well known. And the press took to calling him Pietro Gladiator Red Light Distillery Browning. Which is not a good,
1: it's not a a nickname you really want. Just for the impossibility of remembering it.
0: This is, this wasn't a loving nickname. We'll put it that way. Again, this is just more that led to friction between Browning and the press. After his retirement, Pete owned a bar in Louisville and also worked as a cigar salesman. His health, though, continued to prove to be a heavy burden Pete was actually committed to an asylum in 1905 for a couple of weeks. Later that year, he passed away in a hospital. Beyond his other ailments, Pete was suffering from cancer, advanced cirrhosis of the liver to nobody's shock, and brain damage
1: associated with his mastoiditis. Jeez, that's that's a rough uh, list of, of ailments.
0: Yeah, he really did suffer his entire life and you know the the alcohol was his way of kind of getting through it but i mean this right. this guy had a lot of adversity he's been on the veterans committee ballot several times for the hall of fame but remains on the outside just looking at his uh, his baseball reference page here there's a good deal of black ink here that 1885 season was just he had a year uh let's see he played an 112 games which was the length of the schedule there 174 hits he led the league in average on base OPS and total bases that year in 1887 when he hit 402 I mean that was another just great year 118 RBI that was 103 stolen bases just was a great great hitter and if you look at his defense wow (laughs) (laughs) these are a couple of his years error totals 35 23 35 26 44 46 I mean there were a lot of errors I mean again he's playing up the middle both in the infield and outfield the gloves were almost non-existent at that point you're playing with some really primal (laughs) equipment at that point so maybe cut him a little bit of slack there but looking at the similarity between he and other batters, according to Baseball Reference, here are some names. Cool Papa Bell, one of my all-time favorites. There's our boy Tip O'Neill, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Nap Lajaway, Paul Wayner, Honus Wagner. He is really comparable with some of the all-time greats in baseball. He just didn't play that long because of his health. Pete Browning, though, definitely an interesting character.
1: Sounds like it. That was good, man. That was uh I I mean I knew very little about him, but uh you definitely got that right. He was an individual. Yeah.
0: I I believe he is pretty well represented though in Louisville, Kentucky, around the uh the the factory where Louisville sluggers are made. I also saw that at one point, you know, he was buried in Louisville and he had a, a really rough tombstone his name was spelled wrong on it and you know just kind of fell into disrepair but some baseball fans got together and they bought him a new tombstone that listed all of his accomplishments in baseball obviously his name was spelled correctly a real big figure it sounds like in louisville kentucky and certainly you know one of those pioneers in baseball that should have been a superstar but uh, boy yeah. some real real tough health problems
1: Baseball has a number of tragic figures. It's one of the things that makes uh, this sport unique and and kind of special is the uh, the personalities that uh, and that's what that's what our show is about, really.
0: All right, that's going to wrap up the main segment of our show today on Mister Pete Browning, the Louisville Slugger Gladiator and uh, Pietro Gladiator Red Light Distillery Browning. So there you go. <laughs> All right, Mark. Let's uh, head into the uh, final segment of the show. I kind of forget what it's called. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v. co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Hero. All right, before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded 2-in-1s, that is minus half a point, no es Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, extra 10th of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra 10th of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a hall of famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point mark. With that, which team are you picking?
1: You know, I'm pretty happy that I got that uh, question right about uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, so I'm going to go with the Brewers this week.
0: So if you're going to go with the Brewers, I think I'm going to go with the Hammers. Okay. Uh, This week, Mark, uh, I've picked up these uh, 1997 Donruss in these uh, really impossible to open packs. There are... 14 cards per pack here you know that we get rid of four so that we're only doing 10 now these have the chance of uh having some relics in it too so you got to be very careful here because uh we do count the war of a relic of the year of that card or the year that they're referencing you know you can you could pick up some big points here as long as you don't toss them away would you like the one in my left hand or my right hand
1: we're having really good luck with the right hand
0: okay So you're going to do the right. I am going to keep uh, going and I'm going to be second. I'm going to let you go first. Looking at the scoreboard right now, you are so far ahead. Again, we're just playing out the string. The scoreboard reads 17 to nine. You are three victories away from becoming the first ever back to back to back champion. You're going to repeat. It looks like
1: (laughs) you have to pay Pat Riley uh, some kind of. Fee for using that term. Yeah, well,
0: let him come get me. I also said Super Bowl <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Let Come at me, bro. All right. So 1997, let's see here. Uh, do you want to lose the first or the last four cards in this pack?
1: We're going to go with the last four. Last four.
0: All right. So let's crack them here. we oh, right there. They, these are really high gloss, so they really stick together. All right, so you are going to lose from the Pirates, Jay bell that one might be a, that one might hurt a bit from the Orioles, Rocky Coppinger. Okay. Uh, the Brian Hunter that is not L, not Brian L Hunter. Right. This is the Astros Brian Hunter, and uh, our buddy Joe Table, Jose Mesa. Uh huh. All right. So we're going to start off with a catcher. That's always good. We like catchers here with the Royals, Mike Sweeney.
1: Mike Sweeney, solid hitter. I think all he right. was with the
0: A's for a little bit at the end of his career, too. And the Mariners.
1: So he, he could
0: hit. Yeah, let's see. One year in Oakland in 2008. 2009 and 10, he spent part of the time with the Mariners because that's what all old ball players do. Let's see. We're right. looking at 1997. Five-time All-Star. 97 was his third year in the big leagues. Only appeared in 84 games. Uh, let's see. Seven home runs, 31 RBI, 242 average, 73 OPS+. Plus, and all of that equates to a war of 1.0. And there is nothing on
1: this card that is going to help you out. Beats uh, the heck out of a negative number. Yes.
0: So we've talked about Sweeney before. His part in a bit of a, uh, <laughs> a holy war with him and, and Jeff Weaver. I also see here that he was involved in Napgate. Do you remember Napgate with the Mariners?
1: Um, vaguely, yes. I think I know what you're talking about.
0: In 2010... Ken Griffey Jr. was accused of napping in the clubhouse when he was supposed to pinch hit. He, he said he challenged anyone who said Griffey was asleep to stand up and fight me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, another come at me, bro moment. But Griffey, ne- combat. Yeah, Griffey never denied that he was napping, though. That's interesting. Hmm. All right, so uh, you're on the board there. Next, you have got a, another Astro. It is James Mouton.
1: Wow. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest names in astro history. Why is that so? I am
0: Well, I remember him. Uh, he is, I, I don't remember him being this pedestrian, though. Uh, eight years in the big leagues, a 246 career average. In 1997, it was his final year with the Astros. He only hit 211, had 23 RBI. And a 63 ops plus. All of that is a minus point four war. Ouch. He does have eye black on. I cannot tell with the stirrups though. They no, those are definitely two and ones because they're wrinkled.
1: Oh, he's killing me. Yeah.
0: So that that will even out there, and that's going to get you just a minus point four. Okay, moving on. Next, you have got another one of these guys we pull every single week. And we're doing 97 this year. This is is usually we're in the late 80s or early 90s. Uh, It's Mark Langston here with the California
1: Angels. Mark Langston, uh, solid left-handed starter that threw smoke.
0: Let's see. Mr. Langston in 97. He was 36 years old. He only appeared in nine games this year. He did pitch for two more seasons after this. Nine games started. He went two and two with a 5.85 ERA. 30 strikeouts and 47 and two thirds innings. And that is an ERA plus of only 80. Boy, he led, Uh he led the league in strikeouts three out of his first four years in the big leagues. Pretty impressive. Wow. All of this in 1997 equates to a war of only
1: minus 0.1. Oh, I was, I was thinking it would be worse. That's good. Yeah.
0: Still, still did pretty good. Uh, Nothing else on this card is going to help you with anything. That will take you down to a minus 0.7. I like where this is headed. We talk about him enough. We're not going to go into anything more. Next, you have got a... This one will probably help you out here a bit. You have got a outfielder for the Montreal Expos. It is none other than Rondell White.
1: Ah, uh, See, have we even talked about Rondell White? Solid, solid player.
0: I am not sure we have polled Mr. Rondell White before. Let's see, 15 years in the big leagues, 284 career average, not too bad, 108 OPS plus for his entire career. Uh, Let's see, 198 home runs in 1997, he appeared in 151 games, he hit 270, 28 home runs, that's a career high for him, 82 RBI, also a career high, some decent speed, stole 16 bases that year, 94 for his career, a 106 OPS plus, and that equals a positive
1: 4.8. Wow. Pulls me way, way out of the negatives.
0: Yeah, that's a good uh, good year there for Rondell. I think that was his... Yeah, that's by far his best year war-wise in his career. Moving on, we have got... Uh, well, you're going to like this because he is a Milwaukee brewer, so that's, that's half a point of war right there for you. It is none other than Matt
1: Mieske. Wow, I have nothing to say about him because i don't remember him very well so let's move on no i'm just kidding (laughs) tell us a little bit about matt
0: well i remember his name for sure because that's a great name eight years in the big leagues he played well he he played for seattle for a year in 1999 (laughs) part of the year he split time between the mariners and the astros but let's see Mm -hmm. in 97 it was his final full year with milwaukee Appeared in 84 games, hit 249, five home runs, 21 RBI, a 79 OPS plus, and all of that equals a minus 0. 0.6 war. What? I'm guessing, let's look at his defense here. I'm guessing it can't be that great. As an outfielder, a couple of years of five errors here. It's not like Pete Browning numbers. There's no double digits
1: anywhere here. I have Ron, Bill White, and a bunch of stiffs.
0: Yeah, but do remember he is on the uh, he's on the Brewers. So that's going to wipe most of that out. You'll just be a That'd minus be 0.1. All right. Next, uh, this is a a common name here for us. Uh, it's good news for you too. He also has uh, he also has flip downs. It is none other than Minnesota Twins second baseman Chuck Knoblauch.
1: Mr. Knoblockhead. For the majority of his career, he was a solid solid second baseman though.
0: Yeah, I think he was the guy. He's always on the highlights when he was with the Yankees. I think he was the guy that there was a play at first base and he was over there covering on an infield hit to the pitcher and the ball got yep. away and he started arguing yep. with the first base umpire while the runner on base just kept running and eventually scored.
1: I remember that.
0: I think it was him because I think the yeah. the uh, the New York Post or one of those papers had Chuck Knobloch head was that was the headline the next day
1: that, that's something you don't want to do right there you can argue with the umpire all you want but let's make sure the time is out
0: <laughs> let's see good news for you 1997 final year in minnesota he was an all-star and he also won a gold glove that year wow so let's see 156 games 291 average 390 on base uh let's see nine home runs 58 rbi he had 62 stolen bases that's good for you and a 110 ops plus you know this he, war is going to help because he won a gold glove this year. So you know that it was going pretty well. 6.8 war. Wow. Wow. So you get a whole point for an All-Star and the gold glove. So that's 7.8. Plus he's got glasses. So that is a 7.9. Woo. Wow. Chunky. Chuck Knobloch,
1: ladies and gentlemen.
0: The year before, he had an 8.7 war, which is a career high by far. Wow. Huge. Hit some good years, but then also, uh, you know, couldn't throw the ball to second. Or uh, couldn't throw the ball to first at some point. When he was signed by the Yankees, Buster Olney, then with the New York Times, predicted that Knobloch and Derek Jeter would form the greatest double play combination in history.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, you know, not all predictions uh, are, are solid.
0: Yeah, that is a very bold statement. Very bold. Uh, also here it is confirming that uh, it was Jeff Nelson on the mound for the Yankees and uh, Travis Fryman bunted Knobloch covered first and then it all uh, all went to pot after that. All right, next you have got by the way you're at 11.9 and you have four cards left. This is going to be a big score for you here. Uh, unfortunately, his brother just passed away uh, I believe 2 weeks ago. Here he is first baseman for the A's it is Jason Giambi.
1: Well, we've said plenty about Jason.
0: I loved me some uh, Jason Giambi when he was on the A's and then I hated him and I've not forgiven
1: him. Good guy, but uh as we know kind of went down a dark path.
0: Well, yeah, I don't I I think most A's fans don't like him because when he became a free agent after 2001, he said, you know, Oakland is where I want to be. I'd never want to be anywhere else. This is where I came up. I really like it here. And then uh, a week later, he's signing with the Yankees and crying at a press conference saying it's been his dream his entire life to play for the Yankees. So <laughs> not uh, not that popular. So that didn't go over well. No, it did not go. over. well. As you said, I, I'm bitter and I have not forgiven him. Let's see, 1997, uh, he had a pretty good year. He played 20 years in the big leagues. That is a a, a long time. Eight in Oakland, seven with the Yankees, four in Colorado, and two in Cleveland to finish up his career. 97, he hit 20 home runs, 80 RBI, 293 average, and a 126 OPS plus. All of that will equal a war of 1.8. I'll take that. He does have eye black on here, too, so that'll be a 1.9. You know, his defense was, uh, wasn't was that great coming up, but I remember he turned into a pretty good defensive uh, first baseman. Never going to win a gold glove, but he definitely was above average, but still nothing nothing spectacular, but compared to what he started out with, he became a pretty good first baseman.
1: It was rough at first, I remember that.
0: I mentioned not popular with A's fans. Let's see. During a visit back to Oakland in 2005, he was hit with a beer thrown by a fan on his way back to the dugout.
1: No, I probably wasn't someone offering him one.
0: No, no. Good for them. Also hit what was known what is known as an ultimate grand slam. I, we've talked about this because we didn't know what an ultimate grand slam was. It was a walk-off grand slam against the Twins in extra innings that won the game for the Yankees, thirteen to twelve. Wow! So really, it wasn't a walk-off because they were on the were they on no they couldn't have been on the road because the Twins in uh, at this point were playing in the dome still. And, yeah, so it must, yes. that's a weird way to write the score, thirteen to twelve, if they're the home team. But there you go. So I don't know if we we've, we've discussed this or not. His wife Christiane, yeah, I think it's Christian, is the is a designer and owner of a lingerie and loungewear company. So oh,
1: nice, I like loungewear, Jeff. Big oh, I, fan of loungewear.
0: I, well, we're both uh, we're both big loungewear guys. Also <laughs> a playable character in Backyard Baseball 2001 and three, and also appeared in the uh, in the drama. On ESPN, called the Bronx is burning, where he played a taxi cab driver. All right, moving on. Uh, we've got a member of the San Francisco Giants, one of our favorites here on this show, the Big Marine. Even though he never served, Matt Williams.
1: Gotta love Matt Williams. Offensively, defensively, strategy-wise, love the game. Played it hard-nosed.
0: I believe he's the he's he's no longer managing in in Korea. I think he is back. And I think he might be the third base coach for the Padres now, back with Bob Melvin. (laughs) Really? I'm pretty sure he is back with the uh, back with Mel. I'm not sure if he's going to coach third, but I think he's with the Padres. Yeah. Let's see, Matt Williams, 1997, his first year with the Guardians, hit 263, 32 home runs, 105 RBI, 101 OPS+. Plus, He did win a gold glove this year, so that's good news for you. 4.3 is his war total for that year. He does have flip downs, he's got real stirrups, and he won the gold glove. So that will be a 5.1
1: matt williams ladies and gentlemen
0: yeah that'll bring you up to 18.9 that's a that's a good uh good total so far with two cards left matt the bat also all right so you're at 18.9 two cards left this uh this might be past his prime but boy i like this guy he might need to be on the the do not talk about list but uh, a pair of brothers that were both very good for uh for a time in the late 90s early 2000s brian giles
1: oh wow yeah brian giles good ball player man let's see
0: of course uh, marcus giles his brother remember he was with with atlanta while i was there in 97 with cleveland oh it's not too late it's uh, probably a little bit too early only his third year first full year in the big leagues 130 games he hit 268 17 home runs 61 rbi 13 stolen bases not bad 109 career stolen bases for brian giles a 112 OPS plus all of that will equal a war of 2.0 even. Not bad. Nothing else on this card's gonna help you out. Yeah, that's not a bad, you're 20.9, that is a very high score. Wow, wow. And you still have one card left. I started in the hole too. So I don't know if you remember this, I vaguely remember it now that I'm reading this. Giles was a spokesperson for for Nair hair removal products
1: i don't remember that
0: for some reason do but i also ask why why would yeah. why would the executives at nair be like hey you guys we really need a celebrity you know probably an athlete to endorse our product hey how about brian giles yes there you
1: go <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's what we were looking at
0: yeah i don't think he was that big of a, a star that like he should be making nair money All right, so you are at 20.9. You have got one card left. This guy played for a long time. Utility guy. Kind of infamous for one incident that we will get to here, but it is, uh, with the Royals, it is Jose Offerman.
1: Oh, man, Offerman, yeah. Most, I think of him as a Dodger.
0: Let's see, 15 years in the big leagues, six of it with the Dodgers, four with the Red Sox, three with the Royals, and then single years with the Twins, Mets, Phillies, and your Seattle Mariners. You know, maybe we should start giving out points if, if a guy didn't play for the Mariners at all.
1: <laughs> if you didn't end your career with the Mariners. <laughs> if if one of your last point, five
0: seasons was not sped in Seattle. <laughs>
1: that's right. There's not going to be that many.
0: No, there really won't be. Uh, 1997, 28 years old, appeared in 106 games, hit 297. Not too bad. Wow. Two home runs. He never had power, but he had some speed. 39 RBI, nine stolen bases, 10 caught stealing that year. That's not good. He must have been hurt because he had some good numbers other years. Uh, 96 OPS plus, And all of this leads to a war of 1.9. And there is nothing else on this card that is going to help you out. 2007, he was playing in the Atlantic League for the Long Island Ducks. He got thrown out of a game against the Bridgeport Bluefish for charging pitcher Matt Beach with his bat after Beach had hit him with a pitch. I remember that. There are pictures online if you want to see. He was suspended indefinitely. He was charged legally with two accounts of second degree assault.
1: Yeah, leave the bet behind, fellas.
0: Jose's got a temper. Yeah, he was managing the the Lycee Tigers in 2010, and he got in an argument with the umpire about balls and strikes. Umpire DJ Rayburn, who I'm not sure if he's still a major league umpire, but he was at one point, and eventually took a swing at him and hit him with a right hook.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: Also, the father of former WWE ring announcer JoJo
1: Offerman. No, I did not know that. I
0: I feel like we've talked about this before because I don't know who JoJo Offerman is, but apparently she used to be a, a ring announcer for for WWE. Okay. All right, so Mark, you ended up with a 22.8. That is a very strong score.
1: Yeah, that's not bad.
0: Yeah, so I am going to do that. I am going to, like you, I'm going to lose the, the, the last four because it didn't seem to really hurt you. So let's see what we got here is a... Oh, I, I feel like I, I I see a checklist here, Uh-oh. and it's not in the final four. All right, so my final four cards are, uh, here I've got a good name, but I think he might have been past his prime here, Ron Gant. I've got your buddy, Omar Vizquel. Oh, Pat Hinkin with the Blue Jays, and John Wetland with the Yankees. I feel like I might have just shot myself in the foot here a bit.
1: Yeah, you could have got some. I think you could have got some points there.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what we got here. Again, I am trailing 17 to nine, so I don't really have a shot, but let's see what we got here. Here with the Expos, I have got outfielder F.P. Santangelo. I
1: remember. Boy, I haven't thought of that name in a while.
0: Uh, So F.P., I know he used to do, uh, I think he did color for the Nationals and or, or maybe he is doing he was doing it. I know at one point he was doing it. He also was an in-studio host for the A's for the pre- and post-game show for a while. But uh, we'll find out where he is here in just a little bit. Let's look at his numbers first. Seven years in the big leagues. Uh, he ended his career with the A's for a year. So it's kind of the reverse Mariners thing. In 1997, 130 games for the Expos. He hit 249, uh, five home runs, 31 RBI, a 100 even OPS plus, And all of that will equal a 1.6. Plus he's got eye black So I'm going to actually start in the positive for once There you go Uh, So F.P. Santangelo was with the Nationals last year Until last year But he has run into some some problems That we're not going to talk about Because that's not what we do here But he is no longer going to be on the Nationals (laughs) broadcasts anymore Next I have got a Dodger It is a Guerrero Obviously not Pedro Guerrero Because these are 1997 cards It's Wilton Guerrero
1: One of the best Guerreros to ever play for the Dodgers.
0: One of many Guerreros to play for the Dodgers, I feel. Wilton Guerrero, he is the brother of Vladimir Guerrero and the uncle of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, did not quite have the success that either of those two have had. But he did play eight years in the big leagues. Most of it with Montreal. Four in Montreal. And then three in LA. And then a couple of other teams. 1997. Actually, he came up with the Dodgers. His first full year was 97. He hit 291. Four home runs. 32 RBI. And a 90 OPS+. plus. All of that equals a war of .1. At least it's positive. I on the
1: positive side. Yeah. yeah, nothing
0: else in this card's going to help me. You know, there were so many corked bat incidents in the, in the 90s. I have a hard time remembering them all, but Wilton Guerrero, apparently one of them, in June 1st, 1997, he uh, broken bat grounder. His bat shattered, and umpire Steve Ripley found the cork in them, and he was uh, obviously tossed and suspended for that. All right, so this is a checklist card, but they do a cool thing with checklists. On the back, there is a checklist of cards. You know, as you get them, you would theoretically check them off. On the front, it is a checklist of career 500 home run hitters. And it's got a picture of Hall of Famer Eddie Murray. I will take it. No kidding. Well, I guess, you know what, this this can't be of career 500 hitters. It is actually just a checklist, but it says 500 career home runs. I guess it's referring to Eddie Murray because I look at this and I see Travis Fryman, Greg Maddox, Charles Johnson, guys that obviously don't have that many home runs, but I'm going to take, it's got his name, Eddie Murray, and it's a picture of him, so we're going to run with it. Let's see. Eddie Murray, of course, a Hall of Famer, eight-time Gold Glover, member of the 1983 World Series team, Rookie of the Year, three Gold Gloves, three Silver Sluggers. 1997 was his final year in the big leagues. He split it between the Angels and the Dodgers. Not much as a 41-year-old. <laughs> he hit 222, three home runs, 18 RBI, and all of that equals a war of minus .1. He is a Hall of Famer, though, so I get a whole point for that. And uh, that so it's going gonna, it's gonna to just be even. <laughs> I was expecting great things, but I, I got nothing.
1: Yeah, it was a little rough at the end there.
0: At, you know, at least he didn't cost me anything because he's a That's Hall of
1: Famer. That's true.
0: All right. So I am uh, I'm at one point eight. I'm not going anywhere quick. This guy was one of my favorite hammers when I was there. He is a two sports star played both in the NFL and Major League Baseball. Here he is with the St. Louis Cardinals. It is Brian Jordan.
1: Brian Jordan was a underrated ball player.
0: I always enjoyed Brian Jordan. Uh, let's see here. He ended up playing 15 years in the big leagues. That is a good good career. The first round mm-hmm. draft pick by the Cardinals in 1988 out of the University of Richmond. 1997, he was 30 years old. He was injured this year because, of course, he was. I've pulled him. Only (laughs) appeared in 47 games, hit 234. no home runs, 10 RBI, six stolen bases, and a 55 OPS plus. Uh, Still managed a .8 war, though. I'll take it.
1: Oh, I wasn't expecting that.
0: I'm just, I'm moving forward in very small steps, but at least I'm not moving backwards. So he was injured and hurt that year. He came in eighth in the MVP voting the year before. I'm not going to get that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. He was traded by Atlanta with Andrew Brown and O'Dallas Perez to the Dodgers for Gary Sheffield. Now, I remember that, but I do want to mention uh, Odalis Perez unfortunately passed away last week. Just a, oh, another wow. one of these names that we talk about quite often that unfortunately has passed away. So Jordan was drafted in the 1989 NFL draft by the Buffalo Bills, but he was cut in training camp. Uh, He then played for the Falcons. He played defensive back from 1989 to 1991, had five interceptions and four sacks in his career, and led the Falcons in tackles in 1991.
1: Wow. Yeah, uh,
0: very good athlete.
1: You, you, You never really, his name isn't the first one that comes up when you think of two sport athletes.
0: All right, well, sticking with Atlanta, here is Hammer's third baseman. You know, he was holding the spot before Chipper got there. It is none other than Terry Pendleton.
1: Ah, uh, yes.
0: Let's see. NVP, three-time Gold Glove, won a batting title as well in 1991. 97 was his second to last season. How am I getting these guys that are just winding down? 97, he was 36 years old. He played one season in Cincinnati, which I don't remember at all. Hit 248, one home run, 17 RBI, a 75 OPS plus, and a war of minus .1.
1: That's why you don't remember.
0: Yeah. Well, let's see. He's definitely got uh, some flip downs here, but he also has the two and ones. So nothing's going to help me there. And that'll just be a minus point one. I think you've got this one wrapped up again already.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's been a rough list of players so far, man. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I am at I am at two point five and I have got four cards left or I'm sorry, five cards left.
1: The title of your pack, Good Players with Bad Years.
0: Uh, and uh, wrapping up the, wrapping up the careers is, is what this one
1: is definitely. Yeah. Winding them down.
0: All right. Well, here's, here's another show favorite. Uh, I, I get the feeling this will be towards the latter part of his career. <laughs> it is not a rookie <laughs> card, obviously with the Phillies, Greg Jeffries.
1: Oh uh, yes. Jeffries who, you know, all despite all the hype ended up having a pretty darn good career.
0: We should all be so lucky. 14 years in the big leagues. Yeah. 1997 he was only 29 years old you know he only played for three more years after this so he is kind of winding it down but still you know a little bit better hit 256 played in 130 games that's heartening 11 home runs 48 rbi how many stolen bases you think greg Jeffries had in his career Mm, 104 196 wow there were only six years in his 14 year career where he didn't have double digits. Three of those were his final three years, where he never played more than 70 games, and two of them were the first two where he played in 35 games total. He stole 46 bases in 1993, and was only caught nine times. That's impressive. That is very impressive. Let's see, 1997, all this equates to a 1.1 war, which is about my average, and nothing else on this card's going to help me out. Okay, so moving on to uh, to my next player that's definitely a big name. Whether he'll get me anything, I don't know. Uh, we mentioned him earlier when we were talking about Chuck Knobloch and his Knobhead play. It is the pitcher that was on the mound that day for the
1: Yankees, David Cohn. David Cohn, one of the, the best pitchers of that era.
0: Yeah, he really was. Uh, one of those guys that people talk about, you know, maybe Hall of Fame in the Veterans Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, 194 and 126 overall mark. In 17 years in the big leagues. 1997, good news for me. He was an all star this year with the Yankees. He went 12 and 6 in 29 games with a 2.82 ERA, 195 innings pitched, 222 strikeouts at age 34. That's pretty good. Led the league in wild pitches with 14, but still managed a 159 ERA plus. And all of this would equate to are you ready for this? 6.7. Four. Wow. plus he's an all star, so that will get me a 7.2. Wow. That basically triples my score and uh, sets me at 10.8 for uh, David Cohn. Uh, let's see. Let's take a look at his postseason. Man, it, <laughs> eight different years he was in the postseason. Eight and three record with a 3.80 mark or a 3.80 ERA, 111 innings pitched, 94 strikeouts. Boy, it's just some good numbers here. He won four different World Series, one with Toronto and then three, I'm sorry, four with the Yankees. So five different World Series rings for David Cohn. And of course, we know how many teams he played for because we talked about it just a couple weeks ago. So of course, David Cohn, 1999, threw a perfect game against the Montreal Expos. It says here that was the last no-hitter by a Yankee until 2021. Oh, wow. And it, is, it was also the first regular season Interleague perfect game. So, this perfect game was on Yogi Berra Day at Yankee Stadium. And Berra and George Steinbrenner had had a long running feud. And Berra hadn't been to the stadium in many years. He'd been boycotting it, but he agreed to come back for Yogi Berra Day. He threw out the ceremonial first pitch to Darn Larson, who threw a perfect game, of course, for the Yankees in the 1956 World Series that Yogi had caught. So yes. that's interesting that then Cohen throws a perfect game that day. That's great. Wow. Three cards left. I am uh, I'm at 10.8, well behind you, but I have got a
1: Hall of Famer.
0: I like it? Uh-oh. It is none other than San Diego Padres closer and Hells Bells enthusiast Trevor Hoffman.
1: One of the great closers.
0: Definitely one of the great closers for sure. 18 years in the big leagues. Of course, he came up in 1993 with the Marlins, but that was... Then part of that fire sale and he went to San Diego where he spent the rest of his career until the final two years where he was in Milwaukee. 1997, one of the strange years he was not an all-star. Six and four with a 2.66 ERA, 37 saves. In 70 innings, he struck out 111, a 148 ERA plus. That will get me a war of 3.1. He is a hall of famer so that'll be 4.1 nothing else on the card's gonna help me out you know for for such a dominant guy he led the league in saves twice but that is the only black ink on his baseball reference hey. page made it to the world series once with the 98 padres but they lost to the yankees you know some okay numbers in the in the playoffs nothing great not a whole lot to to look at there and we mentioned hell's bells it was his entrance theme acdc that would start to play as he comes out of the bullpen. It was it was known as Trevor time. <laughs> I like that entrance music. Walk up music is a huge thing for players, especially now. And that oh, yeah. was that song just was perfect. It's in, it's kind of intimidating. Everybody knows, you know what yep. it is. Chosen by a Padre salesperson. Nice. Which is weird that a salesperson would be involved in that versus just somebody in production or Trevor himself. Obviously worked out for him. I'm not sure if we talked about this. This seems vaguely familiar, but he met his wife, Tracy, in Buffalo, New York in in 1992. She was a member of the Bills cheerleading squad, and he asked her to marry him in 93 while she was on the field during Super Bowl XXVII, which I don't know what that is, uh, where the Bills, (laughs) shockingly enough, the Bills lost. That doesn't narrow it down either. No. All right. I got two cards left here. Uh, I'm at 14.9. You are at 22.8. Uh, not lying. This one could help. He's not, a, he's not a Hall of Famer, but his number has been retired by the Yankees. Center fielder
1: Bernie Williams. I think we've talked about Bernie a number of times and just the all-around solid baseball player out there. And musician.
0: Five-time yes. All-Star, four-time World Series winner, four-time Gold Glove winner. Let's see. I think Bernie also holds the, uh, the mark for most RBI in postseason. Either he or Manny ramirez one of the two 1997 good news for me all-star and gold glove winner oh wow hit 328 i like this 408 on base and a 544 slugging percentage for a 147 ops plus 21 home runs 100 rbi 15 stolen bases this could be a big one for me here i'm keeping my fingers crossed And he's got eye black on, so I got that going for me. A 5.5, plus I get the full point for the combined all-star gold gloves. That's 6.5, and then the eye black will be a plus 6.6. Nice. That will take me to 21.5. 1.3 behind you with one card remaining.
1: It's a tough one. Down yeah. to the
0: wire. Coming down to it. Bernie Williams, 16 years in the big leagues, ended up with 287 home runs, a 297 average, a 125 OPS plus, 147 stolen bases. And let, let's see, postseason, he had 545 career postseason at-bats. That is an entire season of at-bats in the postseason. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That is impressive. 275 career postseason, average 22 home runs, 80 RBI. And a good fielder to boot. Just an all-around great player, great guitarist. Some of the similar batters, Paul O'Neill, teammate. Bobby Bonilla, Will Clark, Bobby Abreu, Ellis Burks. Hey, we know all these guys. And Von Hayes, just to throw it in there for uh, nominated for a Latin Grammy in 2009 and two jazz albums to his credit. I feel like he and Ruben Sierra should really collaborate.
1: Renaissance man.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, we can't not say that he was on an episode of Seinfeld. That's right. He and Derek Jeter taking some batting tips from the uh, assistant secretary, assistant traveling secretary, George Costanza. It's all about muscle memory. (laughs) That's right. We will move on to my final card now. I need one point. uh, Let's see. I need one point three to tie you. This is going to get interesting. I don't know that I'm going to get 1.3. It is interesting, though, that I pulled this guy. Because this guy, similar to Pete Browning, who we talked about, was deaf. Here he is with the Tigers. It is Curtis Pride.
1: Oh, yeah, Curtis Pride. Expos?
0: Yep, I remember him with the Expos. I I remember him with the Tigers. I think he was on the Angels at one point as well. Curtis Pride, 11 years in the big leagues, Let's see, Angels, Montreal, Detroit, Boston, the Yankees, and Atlanta. Let's see, in 1997, he split time between the Tigers and the Red Sox. Overall for the season, 213 average. Three home runs, 20 RBIs, six stolen bases, a 73 OPS+. plus. There is nothing on this card that is going to help me. Let's look at his war here. My reaction here probably tells you all that you need to know yeah. <laughs> a minus point four for Mr. Pride. Bummer. Just so close. And then they just rip my heart out there at the end. <laughs> of course, though, everybody, I, I mean, the big story here with Curtis Pride is what a career he had uh, as somebody that was deaf, he went on to be the head baseball coach at Goladay University. I think I'm pronouncing that right which is a university for uh, deaf and hard of hearing. So, you know, Curtis put up a a, a gallant effort there at the end, but it just wasn't enough. He struck out. So, uh, Mark, (laughs) congratulations. I figure in two weeks we'll be uh, done with this season because now you have 18 wins compared to my nine, and uh, we can vote on some new rules that maybe favor me somehow, and uh, maybe I can win. All right, so that's going to be it for another episode of Wax Packs Heroes. That's also going to wrap up our edition of this week's show. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in again. If you want to get more of us, you can find us on all of the socials 24 7. We are there available for you to get in contact with us. You can find us at Two Strike Noise, that is, at TWO Strike Noise, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube. Everything that I've just mentioned is down in the show notes, as well as the infamous Gmail address. Mark, do you want to tell them that?
1: Yeah, it's a little weird. It's two strike noise, if you can believe that, at gmail.com. Spell it out. T-W-O strike noise at Gmail. Send us an email. We'll chat with you, see what's going on.
0: All right. Mark, thank you again for joining us. Uh, We had a good time talking about Pete Browning. Had a good time watching me lose once again. (laughs)
1: in wax
0: packs heroes we talked about mr belvedere i mean we've had just about everything
1: in this episode yeah we ran we ran the gamut today that's for sure yeah we did
0: and you can be assured that we will do so again next week as well when we uh, get together for another episode of two strike noise
1: thank you god bless you have a great day